Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> Sans Pants Radio. What are we? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to another episode of Movie Maintenance, where some films just need fixing. I'm Gabe. I'm Handsome Tom. I'm Carney. And today we're looking at Pirates of the Caribbean 5 Dead Men Tell No Tales. Otherwise uh, known as Johnny Depp does no lines, gets it fit into an earpiece, and he's a piece of shit for two and a half hours. think of this masterpiece loved it i think i would rather watch videos of barnaby joyce talking about executing johnny depp's dogs than actually watching getting political listen champ pump the brakes a minute (laughs) and let's just talk about the film for what it is okay the the film is a piece of garbage is the worst is the worst thing i've ever had to put my eyes on I probably, if I had the option, I would watch Suicide Squad again before I'd subject myself to the level of level, 
of Nadal. torture that I endured watching Pirates 5. It is so bad. What didn't you like about it? Fucking everything. Do you know what I hated? I hated the fact that they invented the whole point of the thing was, oh, let's just find a device that just removes every possible curse ever. So basically retcons everything that's happened before these films. They hated the fact that Johnny Depp was phoning it in, probably because he was having the lines phoned into his earpiece as we later yeah, learned. He actually phoned it in. He literally phoned Got it paid in. paid $20 million too. Jeffrey Rush's <laughs> character made no sense. Yeah. It's just the father reveal was just Bullshit and under like wasn't done properly at all. What am I to you, treasure? But that see, was okay. See, no, I hated. No, 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 no. no. It's bullshit. really frustrating because the actual the writing of that, like in that little moment, I actually don't mind. However, they do nothing don't, to earn. Don't do anything. Not nothing. Lead up it. To it. Captain Salazar is an abhorrent villain that you can't under the whole film. The whole okay, okay. You know what Pirates Five has done? Mm. You know how we talk about when a franchise goes completely ridiculous, they jump the shark. Yes. Pirates 5 has gone so ridiculous, the shark has jumped it. And in the fucking film itself, (laughs) a shark that is undead jumps over Johnny Depp. That's it. That's it. That... I didn't use that in my pitch, but that was the bit of the film I probably enjoyed the most, the zombie sharks. I thought that was fucking awesome until Johnny Depp used it to pull him to shore. Yes. I thought the, pi- the the zombie sharks something we've never seen before. I thought the effects were cool. I thought they were really creepy. It was the only moment in the film where I felt even the tiniest modicum of tension. Do you know what I loved? Then it just went ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I loved? Once again, we had Johnny Depp and crew being chased by a crew of dead fucking again. pirates. Again. That's five fucking movies. Have they done it in all five? I feel like Not it. Not in the fourth one, I don't know. Oh, the fourth mm-hmm. one was the fucking... Blackbeard, Blackbeard was supposed to be immortal. That was It was magic. See, it's bullshit. The whole thing's bullshit. Well, see, I don't mind. I don't mind the absurd pirates magic universe, right? Mm. I don't mind that. What I mind is just they literally invented something that fixes every problem in the possible next movies ever. Like they just fully went. They just fucked up so bad. Gabe and I were. Orlando Bloom turns up and is shit. No, no, he's the one. Okay, thing. No, but, but he's not good because okay. I thought the idea he's was fine. that because he was actually going to be doing what Davy Jones was supposed to be doing, which was ferrying the dead yep. to the realm of the dead. He wouldn't suffer from the weird curse. Therefore, he wouldn't get barnacly. He would just look like Orlando Bloom forever. No, nah, we forgot that plot point. He's now barnacly. He's got a light barnacle on his face. Yeah, he shouldn't have any fucking barnacles. Well, I don't on know his how face. the logic works. I don't think the filmmakers do either. No, no one knows. <laughs> the films are dumb. I more. Gabe and I were rewatching number two last night. We, we intended to watch two and three. And did you we enjoy them? Fifty minutes into number two, and no. we're holy shit, we need to stop. And then we decided to keep going, but we didn't watch three because we couldn't. Two is fucking terrible. Mm. It I, is it's absolute garbage. Like, I and we we spoke about this because I wasn't going to see Pirates Five. We sort of spoke about it, and we had a friend who was going to give us free tickets, and it was like sweet. That way, we're not putting money in Johnny Depp's pocket. But it I he's think already been paid. I had like. I was surprised by how much nostalgia I still had for the original films. Like, I mean, the first one I remember seeing on first a plane. First one's fucking to, well, great. I watched it, it is. I remember when it came out, terrific. my parents didn't let me see it. And then at the end of that year, 2003, I was going to Austria with my auntie and I was in the plane and Pirates of the Caribbean was on the, on the um, in-flight entertainment thing. And I watched it eight times. Over the flight there and the flight back, over and oh, over again, because I just loved it so that's much. That's a good flight. And then, like the second one, the third one, when I they came saw out, it three I was times like, in the movies. Mm. I, like I learned, I, I hated the second and third one later, but at the time of seeing them, I was like, they're fine, they're entertaining, yeah, they're, they're fine. But like 
one thing that I think we've spoken about this in an AGM maybe that I think is really interesting in the case of the fifth one is that two and three for all their flaws, which are Legion actually kind of have some sense of originality or invention to them. Yeah. Even when it's going like completely gonzo, like the, the witch who turns into a goddess who turns into sh- uh, uh, crabs, crabs turns into I thought water. was fucking stupid at the time. However, looking at pirates five, which is so bland it retrospectively does make two and three look better. Not good because watching two last night really brought home how shit it is. But it just, better. it just five just baffles me in that it's just, it's like they they just forget everything they've done. It's like all of a sudden the compass is really important, but they don't actually explain why the compass is important at all, except that it showed him how to kill. Sells. You were what? saying this last night. What was it your thing what? about all the items that they originally brought up, which were just well? Okay, I think I think particularly the first three films are an exercise in retroactive, retroactively trying to make it. Yeah, retroactive McGuffin, but retroactively trying to make it all seem planned. Because I remember when the first one came out, reading an article in Empire Magazine where they were talking about the second one. They were like, oh, there are two directions we can go. It can either be like the Indiana Jones franchise where it's all Captain Jack Sparrow going on different adventures or the Star Wars one where it all turns out to be this big epic saga. And they went for the latter and so in the process they didn't it's like, do it well no, they didn't do it well but then but then so get this they went for the ladder and then they're like oh things like like Pinto's eye and the compass and this and this and this are all going to be like mega important plot points but then at the same time like references to like Jack Sparrow being in Singapore in the first film and his running with the East India Trading Company are all going to become plot points as well instead of just like little character details which is what they were meant to be yeah, yeah. and then when they fucked that up in 2 and 3 they were like oh shit okay let's have our cake and eat it too now we'll make a fourth one that goes the Indiana Jones route where it's a standalone film with Jack Sparrow having an adventure and it sucks because because as you've said so many, sorry, hit the mic in my rage. As you've said so many times, Tom, Jack Sparrow is like the Hannibal Lecter of the series. He's there. To- Elizabeth Swan is your protagonist of this yep. franchise. Yep, yep, she yep. should be the protagonist of film five. It should be about her trying to fill Will. I get free Will. Fill, fill Will. I get, I get, I get the sun. How do you cool. fill Will? Pretty sure Will filled her pretty good at the end of the third film, mate. Phil <laughs> 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 Will is like the really shit version. Hey, it's savvy. a version of Kill Bill. Phil <laughs> Will, Volume One and Volume Two. Um, <laughs> yeah. What annoys me is that. One, Johnny Depp got paid $20 million to just be a, a drunk head. A drunk fuckhead. Also, like, taking... In life and in the let's, film. Let's take out of the picture for a second our personal feelings on Johnny Depp, because, I mean, you know, he's... But he's he phones a, it in. He's a he's, shit he does, performance. He it's a shit performance. And on top of that, it actually takes away everything that made Jack Sparrow a good character. Yeah. Because, yeah, Jack Sparrow was bumbling and all of that in the first film, but he's always also, had a plan. That's it. He always had a plan. He was always smart. There was charm to him. There's a moment like in, in the second film, one bit I actually do quite like is when Elizabeth kisses him and then chains him to the mast to leave him for the Kraken. And then he just kind of looks at her and he's not scared. He just goes, pirate, with this smile. Yeah. And then when the Kraken comes, he's got that moment where he's like, hello, beast, and kind of faces it. If that was Captain Jack Sparrow in the fifth film, he'd just squeal and run away. Yeah. Or do something dumb. Yeah. Whereas like, what made Jack Sparrow work is that, yeah, he was, and what made him actually a complex character. He had a moral code. He was bumbling on the surface, but he had a moral code and he would come through when it mattered. Like you'd have these badass moments, like, you know, when the ship's being ripped apart and he's sailing off and he comes, which doesn't make sense because as you said last night, Carney, it's like then he's suddenly really sad to leave the Pearl in the second film when yeah, he, was, it's a bit he previously fucked off. You get the cool moment where he comes back and everything and it's like, yeah, fine, it works. And then you get little nice grace notes, like in the third film when the Kraken's washed up and Jack kind of has that moment of like looking at the Kraken being like, you and oh, I are fuck. from a past yeah and then when barbosa's like the world's getting smaller jack and jack's like it's not getting smaller there's just less in it there's a really nice little moment of being mm. like all those things are what made him complex and 
not overly complex, but an interesting character. In the fifth film, all of that's taken away in lieu of just him being drunk and bumbling and a jerk. And then there's one bit, you know, like when when Henry Turner meets him in the prison cell for the first time and he goes, I am Jack Sparrow. And he gives what I I think is meant to be a charming smile. But it's one scene where the camera's close enough to his face that you kind of see past all the makeup and hair and you just realize it's just a bloated 50-year-old man trying to look appealing and cool Mm. and sexy. With dead eyes. Do you know what? It's just Do you know what is it's the film's biggest travesty? Mm. Paul fucking McCartney. <laughs> what? No. What? Why? Why is he in there? Why was what Keith is Richards the, in the first three? No, 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 no. Keith Richards in the third film actually kind of makes sense. He's the pirate king. He holds the court. They've got to go to him to have an accord. Yeah, to he's, see he's going to lead. It makes sense. Paul McCartney in the prison is he's just uncle. like, oh, Paul McCartney's in it's the prison. It's a movie. fun cameo. It's I like, didn't. I didn't mind it. I actually yeah. enjoyed it probably more than most of the. We'll rest say. Of the film. We'll say. Best sequence in the whole film is the sequence where they're both where she's being hung and he's being guillotined. Mm. That to me seemed like the old school pirate swashbuckle absurdity, and then it just went stupid from there. You know the scene where it's a flashback to Jack beating Salazar, and he looks real bad. Oh, and he God, looks real bad. So but bad. I have an issue with that, and maybe they cleared this up in the earlier films, whatever. But I always thought that Jack was this, you know, in his past was this kind of capable pirate who was clever and switched on. And then when they marooned him, he kind of went fucking nutty on the island. That's my yeah. that's that was my take on the character, but this just shows him as he's just always he's been just fucking same. crazy. But, and- but but he's not even the same as he was in the first film. He's still in that flashback, kind of bumbling, kind of goofy. And even when he's enacting a plan, there's nothing cool or smart or focused or he, intense about again, it. That's it. He's, he's just, just goofing They're around. They're playing like dumb idiot. slapstick humor that doesn't work. And also, like, okay, there, there is that one bit in the film where, like, and I feel like the film sort of occasionally faints towards this idea of having like a washed up Jack Sparrow. I mean, yeah, it's like it's twenty years later. It makes sense. But it actually does nothing with it. Like, there's bits where he's like, they say, I'm washed up. I haven't had a wash in years. <laughs> Hilarious joke, pirates. But, like, they don't actually do anything with that idea. And the idea of having a Jack Sparrow who's, like, past his prime, who's washed up, who's losing it, who's kind of everything's falling apart around him, that's interesting. But the film does nothing with it. And there's no arc of him going from being, like, this bumbling fuckwit to, you know, kind of regaining a bit of that kind of swashbuckling Jack Sparrow swagger he used to have. Yeah. There's none of that in it. He just stays a bumbling fuckwit all the way through. He shows no interest to Henry Turner, despite being the son of, like, probably the closest he's had to good friends. Yep. And then, like, at the end of the film, like, when Will and Elizabeth get reunited, he sits on the boat and he kind of, like, is watching him. He goes, oh, that's disgusting. And it's like... There needs to be the no, moment where he says, that's disgusting, and then he turns away and then he smiles. The, yeah, no, 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 that's, no, that's disgusting. That he's looking, he's smiling, and someone catches him. He goes, oh, that's... Isn't that just yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Fast. That'd be great. Like, That'd be yeah. great. Like, and then even at the start, which he, where Henry Turner's like, "Oh, I'm the son of Will and Elizabeth." You have a moment of Jack being like, "Fuck, look at you! You look exactly like Will Turner." Huh. Twenty years have passed. Fuck, I've gotten old. Yep. Look at you, my my like old right hand man now has this son who looks exactly like him mm. and I haven't changed like there's so much you could do with that yeah, but they, they do nothing don't. with it and all he makes some dumb joke like oh does your mother still talk about me it's like have some emotional reaction Jack like mm. you know and that that's the weird thing well, even if film. it was even if it was like something bad so he's like I'm the son of Will Turner and Jack just punched him yeah or just <laughs> like because the thing is is that you got to remember Jack's goal across all three films it seemed was to live forever right he didn't want to age right so if you have a film in which he's aged Means he's, it means he's failed. Yeah, tap absolutely. into that. But the reason he failed is because he chose to give to Will, save Will Turner. Absolutely. Life. Yeah. And the thing about it is, like this, this film is so. I think the biggest failing of the film 
and there are a lot of failings in the film, is that it's kind of a servant's two masters. Where on the one hand, it's trying to be, because, you know, in some of the marketing, it was like, oh, the final chapter of Pirates of the Caribbean. So in some ways, it's trying to resolve leftover threads from the first three films. In Still other a sting ways, in the credits. It's try- that, then there's a sting in the credits. In other ways, it's trying to reboot this franchise thing. Like, oh, here's a younger, sexier version of Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley. Here's, here's this. And, oh, yeah, we're not really going to overly reference the original films too much, which is why I think they have Jack Sparrow not having being too emotionally attached to that. But then at the same time, they have references you only understand if you'd seen the first three films yeah. and it's just this weird mismatch of like is it a reboot is it a, a franchise capper is it what what is it meant to be I don't know it's a money making tool and it's bad and it's not a good one no it's an incredibly expensive film too I think yeah. it's one of the most expensive films of all time yeah and a lot it didn't of do because... well in America but it's done like it's pirates so it's done okay overseas I don't I don't know if they'll make another one it, it, it got I can't imagine they, they should like... it, it's been it's the thing is it, it while there was we we're, were talking the other day about it getting mixed reviews but for most part I think people were pretty hard on it. Yeah. But this is the thing is that Pirates has always had pretty mixed reviews. Besides the first one, I look back at reviews for two and three that are like, oh, it's ridiculous. And I remember being, when at like 14, 15, being indignant because it was yeah. like, what this review was like, oh, Pirates 2 is just very unrealistic and very not grand in reality. I was like, it's about magical pirates. But you watch it and you go, oh, no, it actually that but, makes a lot of sense. But that's also the difference between like, you know, films like when we saw them when we were teenagers and everybody, I remember everyone at school was being like, oh, have you seen the New Pirates of the Caribbean? Have you seen the New Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, like yeah. it was because it was in the zeitgeist. It was part of the what was going on culturally at the time. Jack Sparrow was, was the, was the Jack guy. Jack Sparrow was the coolest yep. thing. Nowadays, it's like even like, you know, we're all in our mid 20s. And, you know, if we get together with friends who are like into movies and pop culture and stuff, it'll be like, oh, yeah, have you seen the new Marvel film or have you seen this or have you seen this? The stuff that is currently in the cultural yep. sphere. Have you caught up with any of your like geek mates? Who have been like, oh mate, are you pumped for the new pirates? Have you seen the new pirates? People just don't care anymore. And yeah, I'm sure there are people I wasn't who go and for see the it, maybe like families who go and see it. But like, yeah, I mean, On Stranger Tides is a bit of an avatar where it managed to make heaps of money and have no cultural impact. The, yeah, the, the weirdest thing for mine, besides all the obvious stuff too, is just before we go to dive into whatever we're gonna fix this with, is Jeffrey Rush. Mm-hmm. Like, he's good. Jeffrey Rush is good. And he's a very talented man. What is happening there? Money. He clearly just was like, oh, this will be good for a quick buck. I've also heard he likes working with the crew. He does like working with the crew. That's just a way of you know, not straight out saying, I really love money. I imagine that he does this and that way he can then do like five art house films that make no yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's what I like to hope. But surely at some point he's gone, Barbosa wouldn't do this. I don't think he has though. Everybody, got everyone's phoning there, it just, in, except yeah. the kid playing Henry, who just doesn't have a character written for and, him. That and the girl him. playing whatever her name is. She's shit. Okay, so I for some reason have you about him. It looks like he's having a great time. See, the problem is <laughs> I, I forget anything. that he's in the film. We've just had this conversation. He's, he's like, in a different. Oh, yeah. He's in yeah. a different movie. Can't understand him. So look, I I think Carney, when you and I saw this film, we were sort of both automatically. Just say this without me. Are you surprised? No. We started like, you know, automatically maintenancing it as we went. And then we sat down in the pub afterwards and we sh- uh, shot around a few ideas, some of which I've used in my maintenance. Yeah. But I think the main thing I've wanted to do is I've, I've written something that works, I think, as both a conclusion to the original trilogy. I'm, I'm not ignoring On Stranger Tides. I'm just yeah. not addressing it. Yeah. Well, um, they don't, don't address it. Oh, no, they There's do. that one line about Blackbeard. And, but otherwise, and of course, the... the- Pearls the in the pearl jar. in the jar, yeah. So I'm not oh, yeah. really addressing it. I'm like, it could have happened if you want it to, if you don't want it I, to. I forget whatever. how that happened, by the but way. But so do I. I completely forget. I'm, what I've tried to do here is like, is to make something that sort of wraps up the story arcs of the first three films. And I actually stick pretty closely to the beats of the film as it is. I just hopefully made it better. Yep. Oh, the beats are but okay. The, the, beats the are bare okay. bone it's, beats are okay. It's the delivery, the execution, the structure, so the characters, I'm literally everything around wrapping it. Wrapping up some stuff. And I'm leaving a little bit of a slate for you to continue this if you really want to. Basically, some of the ideas like the um, the Trident of Poseidon and stuff like that, I'm 
keeping that but doing more with it and kind of looking more at what the implications of like something that is the source of all the magic would be and things like that. But basically also kind of stripping away magic in some respect so that it's not really repetitive and kind of focusing it just back down on the characters again. Yeah. So oh, yeah, I guess I'll launch in if you guys are good to go. Bring it on. Yeah. Um, so I want to open the same way the film did with young Henry Turner heading out to sea and essentially drowning himself to talk to his father. Not, not I, a bad scene. I really like the I scene. I mean, I the dialogue wasn't amazing, but it kicked off the film with a bit of heart. It was a nice link back to the originals, set up motivations, and it gave Carney an erection. So in this, it's pretty tick, much- Tick, tick, gonna... and tick. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much it'll play out, you know, more or less the same way. Um, and, you know, in the scene, Henry Turner, like at 10 years old, you know, tells Will he wants to bring him home. And Will, who I'm going to keep as being barnacly for reasons I'll get into later, um, Will's kind of a bit exasperated and just sort of tells Henry it's impossible. This is his lot now. This is his job. Get off my boat. His job is to ferry souls and things like that. He's That's a captain it. now. He's a yep. captain. We cut to 10 years later with a close-up on the face of Henry Turner. Now, originally I was thinking, because I was like, Brenton Thwaites, I just don't, I've seen him in Gods of Egypt and now this, I'm just not really sold on him. Oh, poor bloke. I sort of thought- There is two, like, tentpole films? Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, I know, right? We could probably keep him maybe with a better direction, better script. He can be better. Otherwise, originally I thought maybe Jack O'Connell, but then I was like, I think he might be too old and too rough. Then I was thinking Tom Holland, but then I was like, he might be too much the other way. Basically, I want someone a little bit more roguish. Sure. Like, a little bit more convincingly roguish. I don't like like, like a Taron Egerton, but if he has to look a little bit more like Orlando Bloom. Taron Egerton is actually perfect. All right. Um, I want him to just be a little bit rougher. I want- How old is Orlando Bloom, though? Well, currently, he's like- 35-ish, I want to say. But I thought he was like pushing 40. Well, let's say, because I mean, in this, it's 20 years later anyway. So whatever. Yeah, whatever. Maybe let's Taren age Edgerton. up everyone a little bit. Yeah. But Taron Edgerton, because right. like, I just, I don't, the, the first big thing is that I don't want Henry Turner to just be Will Turner 2.0. Yeah. I want him to be a different character. And I want to look at like what his backgrounds and I guess what his parents did and the stories he would have grown up with, how they would actually shape someone. If he's got any of his mother in him, he's a rebel as fuck. Yes. Okay. So Henry Turner, you know, he's got long hair. He's wearing a bandana. The music swells. We see his determined expression and we pull out and we see that Henry's standing on a tiny boat. <laughs> it's a little bit of a reflection of Jack Sparrow's introduction, but not the same. It's not like sinking. It. It's a that tiny is, that boat. That's one of the best introductions of a character oh, it's, in, yeah, in, in, it's TV, amazing. in film history. And he's wearing a sword. He's outfitted like a pirate, but it's all a little bit oversized. He just kind of looks a little bit uncomfortable in it. And then from Henry's perspective, we see the object of his chase. It's a tiny rowboat with a little old man in there frantically rowing. And Henry kind of keeps sailing. He catches up with the rowboat and he holds the man at sword point. And maybe from him, we get a few eye of asts and whatnot. Essentially, Henry's trying and failing to act like a pirate. And we maybe get a bit of funny banter. The previously scared old man kind of points out that he's just not doing a very good job at this. Um, you get it wrong. I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's a bust. Yeah, like not something it. like that. <laughs> and then finally the man's kind of, all his fear sort of dissipates in the face of exasperation. And he's just like, what do you actually want? I don't have any money. And Henry says what he wants is the book. The old man's bewildered. It's just an old journal. There's nothing worthwhile in here. Henry says, treasures in the eye of the beholder, which makes the old man laugh. He's like, you're really not very good at this. <laughs> he says, but he's like, fuck it, whatever. He hands over the book. And just as that happens, they see approaching a mid-sized ship flying an English flag. And Henry sees this and just goes, oh, no. We cut to a large ship flying a pirate flag. It cuts through the waters and it's chased by three bigger ships, all flying familiar flags, the East India Trading Company. And these ships are much faster than the pirate ship. They gain. In comparison, the pirate ship seems kind of pathetic. And as they gain, they open fire from their cannons. And it is brutal. The pirate ship is literally torn to shreds by the superior firepower of the attackers. On the decks of the East India Trading Company ships, we see stern British soldiers. They're nodding to themselves. They're satisfied. And then, from all around them, from all directions, appear more ships. 
huge pirate ships, proudly waving their skull and crossbones flags. And on the largest ship, a pirate stands at the prow, Barbosa. <laughs> he watches the East India Trading Company ships without expression. Then he raises his hands, and from all directions, the cannons start firing, obliterating the three East India Trading Company ships. How did he become the king of the sea, by the way? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to get into that a bit. All right. Uh, but in the, but in, the, in the film? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so <laughs> we maybe get like a brief scene of Barbosa on the ship. He's conferring with one of his lieutenants. And basically through dialogue, we get the idea they had a victory today, but these are few and far between. They lost another ship they couldn't afford because to them, losing one ship is a blow. Losing three ships to the enemy is just an irritation. What Barbosa needs is a weapon, something like the Flying Dutchman, something to wipe away the East India Trading Company forever. But see, in the intervening years between the last films and this one, it seems that the magical artifacts that once ruled the oceans are thinning out. Basically, pirates who plied their trade in magical items are losing power. So we cut to Port Royal now, and we see it's more or less as we left it, maybe a bit bigger, a little bit more civilised, and we cut to the inside of a large courthouse, where, wearing a large wig, the governor of Port Royal oversees criminal trials, stolen bread and things like that, the governor is none other than Elizabeth Swan. Hey. hey! And through this little glimpse, we maybe get an idea of the older version of her character. She's tough but fair. She's compassionate to the plight of the desperate. Maybe a little bit more of a stickler for the law than we might have expected from her at this point. Hmm. But after a couple of simple cases, a new one comes up. A young man accused of piracy. A young man who, as he's shoved into the dock, is revealed to be none other than Henry Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mum, he says with a smile. <laughs> and Elizabeth's reaction isn't one of anger or even sadness. She just rolls her eyes. This is not the first time this has happened. So the court is briefly adjourned. Elizabeth confronts her son and she's pretty pissed off, but Henry just kind of shrugs it off and she demands to know what he was doing. If he understands the trouble that he's in, if he understands the trouble that he could be putting her in. Henry points out he wouldn't be stupid enough to be a pirate anywhere else. Everyone knows that the governor of Port Royal is lenient to their kind. <laughs> then you are stupid, she says. In the last 20 years, after the big pirate rebellion, the East India Trading Company has only become more dangerous and powerful. They don't make deals with pirates anymore. They don't even trial them. They just blow them out of the water. What could possibly be worth taking that risk? And the look on his face answers her question. She softens slightly, but only slightly. Your father is bound to his fate, she says. Believe me, I looked for ways to set him free. Not hard enough, Henry snaps. The stories you used to tell me, the rumours I've heard, there is an ocean full of magic out there and you're telling me there is nothing that can release him? That's exactly what I'm telling you, she says. Well, the legends are telling me something different. Henry holds up the book, the journal he got from the old man. The Trident of Poseidon is a myth, she says. So is Davy Jones' mother. If I can find it, I can bring our family back together. If you keep trying, Elizabeth says, you will tear our family apart. <sighs> I can't lose you too. More heart in 10 minutes than the whole fucking 300 of Pirates 5. <laughs> Henry just looks at her and says, I'm a man now, mother. I can make my own choices and I choose to keep looking, no matter what. Elizabeth's face hardens. Fine. You want to be treated as a man? You can be tried as one. And to Henry's shock, she proceeds to sentence him to six months in jail. Ooh. Mom. <laughs> so Henry's thrown in a cell. It's probably a holding cell before he gets shipped off somewhere harder yeah. and he's miserable he's a bit sorry for himself until he notices the girl in an excel she's probably uh, this is karina Smythe, yep. still played by 
KS Godelario because I think with a bit of good direction. Can we good. can we change your surname from Smith Smythe? Smith. Well, it was spelt Smythe, but they pronounce it Smith the whole yeah, way it was really through. Weird. So just. Just, I know it's probably going to be Barbosa. So, like, let's I just... don't use her. She's not Barbosa's daughter in this. All right, so cool. Yeah. Just give her a different surname. Karina. Anyway, she's just Karina. Karina. She's trying Barbosa. to work the lock, and she's ignoring. Um, she's completely ignoring Henry, but he obviously thinks she's a bit cute. He starts talking to her, and we get a little bit of banter. And we learn through the conversation that, like in the movie, Karina, she's a scientist. She's thrown in jail for stealing supplies that she couldn't afford. See, I like the science magic. That was nice. That's that a was thing nice. I'm going to play with. As far as Karina was concerned, she had a good reason for doing what she did. And Henry kind of chuckles, he gets that. So we get a little bit more banter, but I don't want it to be like in the film where he's just kind of totally smitten with her. I want this to be more like two equal sparring partners. They're both smart, they're both funny, and there's a little bit of fun wordplay here. And as they're talking, Henry's kind of feeling up the walls of the cell until he finds a loose brick. He slides it out, and behind it is a key. <laughs> Karina's really stunned, but Henry just kind of offhandly explains. He always figured that sooner or later his mother would throw him in a cell. As a kid, he just had to make sure he was prepared. So I like to imagine there's a key in every That's exactly it. There's a key in every cell. <laughs> so he gets out the key, unlocks it, and then as he walks out, he kind of stops, turns back, and he unlocks Karina's cell as well. She's a bit taken aback. She's like, why are you letting me out? He just kind of smiles and goes, because you're pretty. <laughs> bloody, so, bloody Henry, thinking with his drop. There's <laughs> <laughs> a touch of Jack about Henry. Hmm. A little bit of Jack. So they set out. And maybe, you know, they quickly steal like a small boat. Karina heads with him because she needs to get out of Port Royal and she figures this is as good a way as any. And Henry has a rough idea of where he's heading. So they set out and they sail. And as this plays out, maybe we get to know them a bit more. I don't really want the tortured daddy issues underpinning their characters like in the film. I want them to be fun company, like not quite repeats of Will and Elizabeth. Henry's a little bit rough around the edges, a bit more charismatic than Will, a kid who grew up on stories of his parents' exploits and has been dreaming of going off and finding adventure and going on swashbuckling missions with Captain Jack Sparrow and all of the above his whole life. And while Karina is like doggedly obsessed with science, the point where she doesn't really give a shit about other people... (laughs) Like she's just, but, but I want it to be kind of charming. Like maybe we get a scene of the two of them stargazing and something that kind of links them where, you know, Henry's sort of talking about the myths of the stars and she's talking about the science behind them. And we kind of get a sense of these two kids, one with his foot in the past, the other one with a foot in the future. And that same passion that they've got for different things is kind of what brings them together. It's a bit bloody beautiful, mate. But of course, eventually it's a movie. Shit has to happen. So they arrive in Tortuga. They set about searching and before too long, in a rowdy tavern, they find Mr. Gibbs. Drunk of his ass, as always. Maybe we get a bit of a scene of Henry trying to remind Gibbs of who he is. He's all like, we've met. I'm Will and Elizabeth's son. And he's all like, who, who, what? But eventually he realizes who he is and they have a drink together. Gibbs wants to know what they're after. And Henry says, well, he never knew anyone else with such an understanding of myths and legends of the sea. And he's chasing the biggest one, the Trident of Poseidon. Gibbs kind of laughs. Even he knows that's nonsense. <laughs> the idea of this one object that fuels all the magic and all the sea. But Henry persists. If he was to find it, where would it be? Gibbs explains the last he heard of the Tridents, Captain Jack Sparrow was looking for it. After the East India Trading Company tracked them down and destroyed the Black Pearl, killing most of the crew in the process. That's I like that. Jack wanted a way to save himself. Gibbs was fed up, thought that was idiocy, and so they parted ways. Right. It's a nice touch that Gibbs had had enough. Because Gibbs would have enough of depth shit. Like, depth. I mean... Sparrow shit. Particularly if they've lost their whole crew. Okay, Henry says. So where is Jack Sparrow now? And we cut to a bar in a small backwater town. And here, regaling the bartender with a tale of dashing rapscallionry, is Captain Jack Sparrow. (laughs) A little bit older, maybe a little bit more worse for wear, 
but not the bumbling drunk of the film. He's still every bit Jack Sparrow. And he's telling this whole thing. Maybe he's like telling an exaggerated version of the Kraken story or something. And he's kind of relaying it with great energy and passion and excitement. And the bartender's just watching him and he just does not give a shit. Yeah, sure, you were eaten by a Kraken, you survived, but are you going to pay your tab? (laughs) And Jack just keeps trying to talk his way out of it, distracting the bartender with his story. But the bartender isn't biting. And finally, the bartender just has enough and he pulls out a gun and a fight ensues. A bar fight between the two of them. And it's maybe pretty spectacular. Like, Jack might be older, but he's every bit the swashbuckling pirate hero. And after maybe a bit of a fun, bumbling fight, he defeats and humiliates the bartender. The music swells. Jack's standing on the bar. He stands up and he announces, Ladies and gentlemen, you will always remember this is the day you almost made Captain Jack Sparrow pay for his drinks. The camera pulls out and the music dies as we realize that Jack's whole show has been for a half-empty bar that just is not paying attention. (laughs) Because no one cares anymore. (laughs) They've just seen this shit too many times. Like the audience. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of sits there and we get the sense that maybe Jack's been in this town, in this bar for a while, just playing out this same act for a slowly diminishing audience. Fuck, that's depressing. And a little defeated, he kind of sits down, he tosses the bruised bartender a few coins, all the swag is just gone. He's just a sad aging man sitting in a bar trying to entertain a few drunks. He's got no ship, no crew, and more importantly, no audience. You can't be a legend if no one cares. But as Jack sits there drinking, the door to the bar opens and three people walk in, Karina, Henry, and Gibbs. Now, Henry sees Jack and he's a bit taken aback and we realize he grew up idolizing him. He heard the stories, but they never met. And here he is in the flesh. Gibbs, meanwhile, is a little bit nervous about coming face to face with the friend he essentially abandoned, but this is what they have to do. So on they go. They start talking to him, but Jack wants none of it. Gibbs tries to be all Jackie old friends, but Jack just does (laughs) not care. I like Gibbs. I hate Gibbs. Really? I really, like him. I really hate Gibbs. This is why he's an exposition him- machine. I fucking hate him. Mm. Um, he's a good exposition Gibbs. machine, though. Mm, anyway, uh, Jack just kind of brushes off all their requests for help. There's nothing in it for him, as far as he can tell, just an appointment with the canons of the East India Trading Company. And that is until Henry steps forward. You knew my parents, he says quietly. Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan. And this gives Jack pause. He looks at the youth, maybe half a young him. Half a young Will, the pretty girl next to him. Maybe he sees Elizabeth there. Beside them is his old friend Gibbs, and Jack kind of looks at this scene, and he's taken aback, and, and maybe briefly he's reminded of a different scene, maybe 20 years earlier in the prime of his life and the height of his legend. A scene he's so desperate to return to. So Jack says yes. He examines the journal Henry has, and he quickly surmises that the location of the trident is here, but it's in code. They spend some time going over it together, and Karina kind of swiftly gets to work because, you know, she's no science shit. She can figure this out. She starts to decode the book. What sort but, of science shit, Gabe? But she's soon interrupted by some whispers <laughs> going through the bar. He won't answer me on the science shit, Gabe. There have been East India Trading Company ships spotted on the horizon heading for the town. They need to move. They set out heading for the docks. But the moment Jack sees their pissy little boat, he's like, nah, can't be having that. A pirate needs a ship, not a dinghy. So maybe we get a bit of a fun high scene. You know, there's a pressure of time of the East India Trading Company closing in and they're trying to steal a ship. And these characters are kind of forced to work together. Maybe they break off into pairs and Henry's paired with Jack. And maybe we see Henry being a bit giddy to be helping the Jack Sparrow with this act of piracy. Maybe he feels like he's living out one of those legends he loved as a kid. And it's kind of exciting and fun. There's a bit of heart, lots of banter. And Jack still is kind of good at this, despite being maybe a bit rusty. But of course, there's dangers. And before long, the authorities turn up. And our heroes manage to get the ship out to sea, but in the process, Gibbs is left behind. (laughs) And he's set upon by guards. Oh, Jesus. 
Henry kind of shouts to save him, but Jack just keeps the ship going. Motherfucker. You want to kill Gibbs because you don't like Gibbs. Just bear, just bear with me. Okay. We need to find the trident and save your father, right? Jack says. We can't very well do that from the wrong end of a noose. Gibbs will be fine. It's me they want. Henry kind of sees the logic in this. But it doesn't mean he likes it. So Jack takes the wheel and they sail into the night. And maybe Karina kind of pulls Henry aside and asks him about Jack. And maybe we get a bit of a rundown from Henry about Jack and the stories he's heard. Karina says she doesn't trust him, but Henry replies, Jack saved his parents' lives many times. Maybe it seems wrong, but whatever happens, Henry believes in Jack. He always had a plan. He always had a way out. If Jack says this is the right course, this is the right course. Meanwhile, Jack's standing at the wheel. He's smiling. He's happy to be at the prow of a ship again. But out on the ocean through the night, we see ships approaching from all directions. Familiar ships. Bugger, Jack mutters, as a leading ship comes close enough to reveal the grinning face of Barbosa. Uh. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the town Jack was hiding at, Gibbs is in custody. The local guards, maybe they're a bit incompetent, they're trying to interview him, and he's just refusing. And the door to the interview room bursts open and a towering figure enters. He's wearing the uniform of the East India Trading Company, but nothing about him seems to suit it. His hair is long and matted, his eyes are wild, and something about him just exudes rage. This is Captain Salazar. Nice, nice. Still played by Javier Bardem, but without dumb CGI effects. There's nothing supernatural about him. He's just a very good, very dangerous pirate hunter. Cool. Nice. Salazar interrogates Gibbs, and we soon realize this is not a villain like any we've seen before. Salazar has no interest in playing games. When Gibbs is reluctant with his answers, Salazar just beats him. (laughs) Brutally. Just taunting him about Jack abandoning him. That's your pirate code, Salazar sneers. What a thing to die for. Put it this way. He betrayed you so he could live. You betray him to do the same. An eye for an eye, it's only fair. And finally, Gibbs, bloodied and beaten, spits out. He's going for the trident of Poseidon. Give me a location, Salazar says. Gibbs won't reply. Give me a location and you live. Gibbs smiles. We used to say a short life but a merry one. I figure I've long since surpassed that. Do your damn worst. Ah, See, he's great. He's a great character. Salazar looks down at Gibbs, meets his smile with his own. Oh, I assure you, he says, we will. Turns to his men. Make sure he dies screaming, he says, and then stalks from the room. On Barbosa's ship, Karina and Henry have been tied to the mast. They're taunted by the pirates on board, but it seems kind of half-hearted. Like, maybe like a poor facsimile of the scene in the first film. Almost like the actual Dead Men Tell No Tales. Mm-hmm. Karina surmises that these must be the last pirates left. I mean, it's pretty well known the East India Trading Company has been merciless for years. Only by banding together under Barbosa's flag have they survived this long. That's how he's become the king. I like it. I like it. Meanwhile, in the captain's quarters, Barbosa sits across from Jack, who's tied to the chair. Is his captain's quarters just a normal thing? Not yeah, that just a normal thing. It's not skull It's not dumb as fuck. It's just a normal <laughs> captain's quarters. Maybe slightly better off, but these yeah. guys are on the yeah. run. Yeah. Okay, so they're not like, they're not exuding wealth or showing anything off. They're just maybe slightly better than your average shitty pirate's quarters. They're sitting there. Barbosa sitting across from Jack. Jack's tied to the chair. Barbosa's sipping his wine. But like his crew, there just isn't much sign of the gleefully evil pirate we've met before. Barbosa's drawn and he's gaunt, he's grim-faced. Maybe he tries a couple of half-hearted yars and whatnot, but Jack quickly gathers that things just aren't the way they were. So what does Barbosa want with him? Barbosa admits that he'd heard tell that Mr. Gibbs had left Tortuga, which he figured there would only be one reason for. If Jack Sparrow was sailing again after the loss of his pearl, that means Jack has an objective, 
And in these troubled times, only one objective would be enough for Jack, the Trident. So what's the plan? Jack grins. Same as ever, Hector. The Trident is the most powerful object in the sea. Everything else has failed to give immortality. Maybe this will. Barbosa seems almost unimpressed. Living forever in a world that's becoming more and more dangerous for the likes of us. What, do you want to spend your eternity running? Or do you want to live it on your terms? Barbosa leans forward. The trident is powerful, but it doesn't lift curses. It makes them. The only way young Turner sets his dear father free is by destroying it. You realize that, right? Jack says nothing. My proposal is this, Barbosa says. We work with them. We need the girl to decode the book, and she's only doing it because she's sweet on young Master Turner. We pretend we want to help them. When the time comes, we take the trident, we use it to turn back the tide of this losing battle, to make the seas our own again. Our previous alliances haven't ended so happily, Jack says. The ocean's big enough for two great captains, Barbosa replies, just not for us and the East India Trading Company as well. Think about it, Jackie. No more running and hiding. No more fear. A new age of piracy with you and me leading the charge. Jack holds his gaze for a long time and then he just smiles. <laughs> so Henry and Karina are untied and the journey continues. Karina keeps decoding the book, but it's slow going. However, she does manage to work out one thing. In order to access the trident, they need some other bullshit artifact, let's say a scepter. And it's something Barbosa has heard of. It's being held in an old temple on a not far off island. So they set their course. Meanwhile, in a distant prison, Captain Salazar's boat pulls into shore. This is a grim, ominous place. It might be the prison from the start of Pirates 2. Okay. Yeah, it's that'd be cool. It's huge. It's dripping. It's just disgusting. It suits Salazar to a T. Maybe he walks up the dock towards the huge doors. We get like a swell of bombastic evil villain music. Something cool as fuck like that. Bit of Davy Jones organ work. <laughs> yeah. Um, Salazar heads down to the deepest dungeons where, in the most heavily guarded cells, a group of old men are kept captive. The Brethren Court. Oh, nice. So Salazar begins a bit of a villain speech. He talks about the approaching future, about mercy and vengeance and forgiveness, about how they rot here away from the seas that are their homes, but maybe they can be set free if they give up the secrets they've been holding on to. After all, these were the pirate leaders. If anyone has an idea of the location of the Trident, it will be one of these. Now, here is the deal. If the location of the Trident is given up, they all go free. On probation, banished to out-of-the-way towns, but free. All they need to do is tell him where to find the Trident. For a moment, silence hangs in the air. And then, the croaky voice of someone long silent starts singing. It's the Hoist the Colours song yep. from the start of the third film. Oh, fucking amazing moment, that yeah. film. Very slowly, he starts singing it, and then one by one, behind bars, the whole Brethren Court join in, just <laughs> less singing it, more screaming it at him. Salazar's furious. He turns to his men. Hang them all, he spits. Wait, one of the men cries over the singing. Wait. And he gives a location. He's fast. He's desperate. The others start yelling, but it's too late. Salazar smiles. He turns to his men. I want them hung by dawn. Oh, I knew that was coming. (laughs) Meanwhile, our heroes have arrived on the island. They make their way through the forest, the abandoned temple. They arrive. The scepter or whatever it is is in the center of the temple. So maybe we get a few Indiana Jones-style traps. It's kind of fun. They're working through there. There's some booby traps, all of that. Maybe a few pirate red shirts die. Eventually, they get there. They get the scepter. And Henry goes to remove it, only for Barbosa to grab his wrist. Henry tries to argue, but Barbosa insists they have to move. They have to get clear of here. Barbosa gets a scepter. They start to fight their way back through the temple, and they emerge in daylight, only to find they're not alone. The temple is surrounded by East India Trading Company men. At the foot of the stairs is Salazar. His smile is cruel. The last of the brethren caught in one place for me, he says. 
Your friend Gibbs was quite the aide. Looking for the trident? You couldn't think I would allow that. Funny, Salazar, Barbosa says. You've so far failed to destroy me. I figured you're in the habit of allowing a great deal. Indeed, Salazar says. Strangle the pirates till they're forced to band together then hit them when they're all in one place. You served your kind up to me on a silver platter. <laughs> That's the thing about silver platters, Barbosa says. They're so very good at distracting from the poison they're carrying. <laughs> and from behind the East India Trading Company, the gunshots and cannons start as Barbosa's men swarm from the trees. And the battle is on. With a roar, Salazar draws his sword and Barbosa engages him. They start fighting and they back into the temple. His men follow. Karina sees her chance. In the middle of the chaos, she uses her magnifying glass to pull some science shit and she uses the sun to set the wooden temple on fire. What, what sort of science shit, Gabe? Now, the battle is playing out in and around an inferno as the old dry temple goes up in flames. He's not, so, he's not playing my game, No, Sean. I'm not playing your game. So... Jack's fighting a bunch of men and he's pretty on top of it. Henry's kind of maybe just holding his own. And inside the temple, Barbosa is embroiled in his duel with Salazar. The two of them just facing off. The last great pirate and the man sworn to destroy them, playing out their duel. Barbosa's armed with a pistol as well and he escapes into the smoke in the corridors of the temple. He uses the smoke and flames as cover to start taking out Salazar's men one by one, moving with speed that belies his age, avoiding Salazar until the blaze becomes too dangerous and he disappears into the smoke. And finally, the East India Trading Company captain, coughing and weakened, stumbles out of the temple to find himself surrounded by a slaughter. Pirates and East India Trading Company men are lying everywhere dead. But the ones still standing are the pirates. Only a small band, but they're there. And standing at the head of them are Jack and Barbosa. Barbosa steps forward. And there is no humour or delight in his victory as he just points his gun at Salazar. You know who I am. The pirate hunter says, Would that I didn't, Barbosa replies. Kill me and they will come down on you with everything they have, Salazar says. You don't have the men left to make any kind of stand. You doom your kind. No, Barbosa says, I avenge it. <laughs> and he shoots Salazar in the head. <laughs> then the last of the pirates turn and head back to their ships. Now with only a small band left, they only need one ship. On the ship... Henry stands looking out to sea. Karina joins him. She's decoded the last of the map and she's got the coordinates. They'll be at the Trident by morning. They kind of sit there looking out to sea and Henry just says, I thought it would be different. Going on a quest, being a pirate. I thought there'd be less blood, Karina says. Henry nods. And from behind them, Jack says, that's the trade. <laughs> they both turn to him. Pirates want freedom, Jack says. In a world that's less and less inclined to give it to us, we all have a choice. Bow down, accept the rules, or fight. That's the inconvenient little truth about fighting. You need someone to fight against. That comes with a cost. Your parents paid that cost. My father paid that cost. Gibbs and all the rest. What about you? Henry asks. Jack just kind of smiles and says, I'm still running away from it. And so our band of heroes arrive at this little spit of land. Now, I don't want it to be the big, like, divide the seas and go underwater. It's just a little island, maybe similar to the, like, shiny diamond one they had in the film. Yep. But just yep. a little spit of land's an island. They arrive there, they get off the ship, and they search until they find a distinctive wall of rock, one that has a hole in it that fits the scepter perfectly. They put it in, the wall opens up, and they enter the cave. And there on the end... On a plain rock dais is the trident. And it's not dumb and show-offy and ridiculous like in the film. It's just a plain, simple trident. But there's something almost reverent about it in that it's not showy. It's not trying to draw attention or be a ridiculous set piece. It just is. Yeah. Henry runs for it. 
only for somebody to step in front of him with a sword. Barbosa, Sorry, young Turner, he says, but I can't have the magic of the seas destroyed. <laughs> I need it yet. We had a deal, Henry spits. Did we? Barbosa says. I don't recall giving my terms. <laughs> well, they're simple. I let you live and the trident is mine. I need to save my father, Henry says. And I need to save my own, Barbosa replies. Henry laughs bitterly. Your own? What is that, pirates? Your kind cause nothing but death and pain and destruction. You're not worth saving. What, you're going to take the trident and wipe out your enemies? Then what? Rule the seas with terror and violence? No one should have that kind of power. And yet I'm going to, <laughs> Barbosa says. Henry draws his sword. You don't have an army anymore. But I have experience, boy, he growls. You think I'll hesitate in cutting you down? No, a voice from behind says. But hesitating would be in your best interest. They all turn. A man stands in the mouth of the cave. Will Turner. Oh. <laughs> On we, land. We just, you, you worked out he was going to show up, didn't you? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. On land, Turner, Barbosa says. You've wasted your one stop. And you're wasting your life if you touch my son, Will says. Back away, Hector. And what, Barbosa says. You'll destroy the trident. No, Will replies. You all walk away and I will move it somewhere it can't be found. Father, Henry says. I know, son, Will says. But this isn't about me coming home. The Dutchman needs a captain. I need to be there to govern the seas, protect the lost souls. You take me away, the seas fall into anarchy. They're already there, Barbosa snarls. The East India Trading Company, times are changing, Hector, Will says. They have been for a long time. You can change with them or you can die. Barbosa laughs. Aye, the coward's choices. Or you can stand tall in the face of the oncoming wave and let it be known that you will not yield. Have you forgotten what we are? What we fought against? 20 years ago, we saved these seas. And 20 years later, things have changed. Will says, turn away, Hector. Disappear now before they find you. Pursue peace. Barbosa and Will stare at each other. Then Barbosa turns to the trident. Will draws his sword and the fight begins. <laughs> Barbosa and Will duel. As Barbosa's surviving men take out their own weapons, Henry and Karina are holding their own as Jack just backs into the shadows of the cave. Very Jack. Very Jack. Jack. Henry screams, help us. Jack looks from his fighting friends to Barbosa, to the crew, and finally to the trident. There within reach, all his dreams of living forever, free out on the ocean, all right there within his grasp. The fight spills out of the cave, and across the tiny island, our heroes do desperate battle. Will fights Barbosa as Henry and Karina struggle against the other pirates. And then Jack emerges from the cave, trident in hand. Will sees him. Their eyes meet. Jack, Will says. Jack grins. Pirate, he replies. <laughs> then he throws the trident in the air, draws his sword, and cuts it in half. <sighs> A shockwave hits the ocean. Everything seems to shake. Will buckles. Barbosa backs away, furious, eyes on Jack Sparrow, as one by one the barnacles drop from Will. As the curse recedes and the man returns, he stares down himself, disbelieving. On the nearby waters, the crew of the Dutchmen just stare at each other, no longer disfigured monsters, but just mortal men again. The time of magic is over. Okay. (laughs) Henry walks over to Will, but his father doesn't speak. He just closes his eyes and exhales. From a distance, Jack watches as Barbosa approaches him. 
You know what you've done. He snarls. Jack just nods. For a moment they hold. For a moment we wonder if Barbosa's going to draw his sword again. And then the aged captain just turns away. He gestures to what's left of his crew and they head for the ship, leaving Jack, Henry, Karina and Will. Out to sea, Barbosa stands on the prow of his ship, watching the horizon as one by one East India Trading Company ships appear. <laughs> Ten of them, then 20, then 50, then 100, until the ocean's full of them. All bearing down on his lone vessel. Ready the cannons, Barbosa snarls <laughs> as he faces down a fight he knows he cannot win. Ah, oh, Barbie. And hoist the colours. A cry goes up, a cry that seems somewhat muted with only a few pirates remaining, but they stand tall as they sail to their deaths. Meanwhile, the Flying Dutchman makes for Port Royal. Jack Sparrow stands at the helm, watching as Will Turner comes up beside him. I didn't want you to do that, Will says. Jack doesn't look at him. You've done your service, William. More than enough. It's time to go home. Will looks at him, then without a word, walks over to his son. And so, on the docks at Port Royal, the Flying Dutchman finally returns to land. Elizabeth Swan stands there waiting as Will arrives, and they embrace. One by one, the crew leave, marvelling at their sudden freedom, until on the boat, only Jack remains. Hmm. Watching his parents, Henry smiles sadly. That's it then, he tells Karina. All those adventures I thought we'd have, the curses I'd break, the monsters I'd fight, all gone. Maybe, Karina says. Seems to me magic was always a thing of the past. There's a future out there that still needs to be found. Henry looks at her and smiles. Besides, Karina says, we're still fugitives, so we'd probably better get moving before your mother notices us. (laughs) (laughs) Call this a suspended sentence, Elizabeth says, coming to join them. By merit of my being wrong. And she embraces her son. And standing on the Flying Dutchman, Jack watches all of this. A family reunited, and behind him an ocean free of magic, finally being claimed by law and order in the future. He looks out to it all, and then he goes for the wheel, only to find Elizabeth standing there. For a moment, they just look at each other. You're going back out there, she says. It's the only place for me, love, he replies. East India Trading Company rule the seas now, she says. You'll never be safe. He grins. The seas rule the seas. And besides, I've never been safe. Change that, she says, for now. You can always run in the morning. Seas aren't going anywhere. You've got a family down there. Jack looks at her for a moment, and then he nods. Together they walk down and join the others. As our characters walk together into Port Royal, we pull back to see the distant fiery red ocean beyond the Flying Dutchman with the waving pirate flag and shot. It's all changed, maybe, but still full of mystery and adventure yet to come. <laughs> the end. Nah, good. Good fix. Good fix. I want Jack to leave that at the end. Yeah, so do I. I was thinking that. I was talking about I, I didn't, I didn't really but, um, quite but buy the, the only, family comment. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I did think about that. The only thing with that is that that's kind of the exact same as the ending of every other Pirates film. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. He's Han Solo. Yeah, but I mean, even Han Solo just, changes. Like, and I'm he does, saying, he like, does, but he, he's always going to fuck off. He doesn't change permanently, but like, I would just find it really tedious if it ended with him sailing off by himself again. Like, that was the end of the original trilogy. Just like, even just a moment of him to being me, like, though, that was the only thing that made sense for the story you just told. Was that he yeah. has to leave? That he's the sad pirate who's the last one, and he just yeah, leaves. Yeah, yeah. Because then you know, if you do 
Another one. It's the last pirate, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, but that's that's he. He literally would. What I imagine Jack would do is he would get in that boat. He wouldn't go raid the seas. He'd just go out to an island somewhere and just live on an island. Yeah. I don't. I yeah. He wouldn't get off the boat because what it, what had happened was she'd be like, stay at least stay for dinner, and he's like, oh okay. And she gets off the boat, and then he just like flicks the gangplank back. And up. goes, yeah, I like that more. And yeah. all you, all you'd have is that you know you get that little underscoring of the Pirates Caribbean theme as he slowly put, yeah. pulls away and. I think it was just tricky because, like, as I was putting it together, I was like, because that was the end. I, I did want him sailing off by himself at the end. Then I was like, that's how every other one ended. And I was like, if there's going to be a sense of some kind of closure, I wanted just something slightly different, even if it's still implying that he's going to go off by himself and still have adventures. Um, he just but, can't end on dry land. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I do, I do agree <laughs> with you. Jack it's is just bring yeah. me that horizon. That's Jack that's Sparrow. it. That's it. Also, yeah. Jack would love to go and have a meal with the family, but he can't. Yeah. That's the point. Is, yeah. is, as much as that, that would actually make it even more meaningful, is that he'd really want to. Mm. It's the same reason he doesn't want to get eaten by the kraken. Yeah, but he still. And it'd even be setting the table. Where's Jack? Look out the window, and there's the ship. The ship sailing yeah. off. Ship's gone. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's say that was the ending. I because he's still got his compass. That would be it. He's still got the compass. Yeah. He just yeah, go off and yeah. find what he wants. Yep. Which is peace. I think you need to destroy the black pearl on screen. Yeah, me I want too. to see Jack's face when it burns. Um, I don't know how you do that. I also want to see Gibbs die on screen and I probably want it to happen in front of Jack as well because we talk about how Will Turner is Jack's, the closest thing to a best friend. Well, yeah, Gibbs, thinking, is, yeah. Gibbs, Gibbs is, is Jack's friend. best friend yeah. and he needs to see him die and there needs to be a consequence to that. It can't just be sort of, I know you don't like Gibbs, but you can't just throw him like, under the carpet. It's yeah. got to be like an actual thing. Maybe, and that's got to cause a conflict then with Will. Yeah, maybe, um, well, no, you just have Salazar bring him to the temple. And kill him there in front yeah. of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be nice. But I'd, I'd even kill him earlier. When also, I don't want the. Ja- I don't think the black pearl gets destroyed on screen. I think the fact that it's an offhand comment communicates that time has passed. No, but it's such an iconic thing for the. Yeah, but what you're gonna have a flashback? It's the first like, film, the Curse of the Black Pearl. No, I, I think, no, I think, I think you need to no, kill it on screen. Yeah, I think then you restructure you your story then? and you you burn it at the start of your story. Yeah, you can't. You can't destroy the well, you have it. I mean, you, it's, it's you, you don't have it like destroyed. You, you have it impounded, right? So Salazar's got it. Salazar's got the pearl, and he burns the pearl. That's I think it. it's no. I think that. it's yeah. Okay, maybe. And that that, um, that introduces Salazar. Yeah, I just think I, yeah. I do think too that Salazar should come in a bit earlier, and that's probably the way to do just it. Just have him burn the pearl. Yeah. Because mm. maybe maybe that's it. Maybe maybe the two of them are hunting Jack Sparrow, so they track where the pearl is, mm. and the pearl's being burnt by Salazar. So they're like, "We'll break. The, we'll, we'll steal the pearl for you." And he's like, "Right." That's where he, pearl. Kill, and he, that's goes, where he the kills pearl. Gibbs. Put Gibbs on the pearl, burn Shit. him alive. Burn him alive, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, they, they, track down, they track down Sparrow at the bar and he's like, I've given up on the pearl because it's been impounded by Salazar. And they're yeah. like, we'll help you steal it. He's like, great, we'll steal it. And then it burns in front of him and he's like, this is why I didn't want to go after my boat. And then he's less likely to want to help them now. He's more <laughs> likely to do with what Barbosa. He's, he's more likely to follow Barbosa and you get that, is he going to go with Barbosa or is he going to go with these guys? Yep. Because he's like, you can get Salazar back for burning the pearl. Mm-hmm. And the pearl is his life. Like, that, that's why- It'd be like killing yeah. his wife. That, that's, well, that's what it is for Jack. It's, you've just killed his we, daughter. You've, you've John wicked him. Yeah. <laughs> I do think though, that said, if the pearl is out there, the prospect of Jack sitting in a bar not trying to get it mm. the whole time doesn't work quite as well. Well, I think I think the fact is he's got no crew. Uh, can, can I, can I like, let me make my points? Like, I think no. the whole thing, I know that we don't necessarily want to put too much stock in films four and five, but the whole thing that underpins him in all of those films is him looking for the pearl. Yeah. Even in the fifth one, it's like, it's in the thing, I want to find a way to get it out there. In the fourth one, it's the same thing. It's like, it's in the bottle, I want to get it out there. Yep. Um, so to me, it's like, if he's sitting in a bar wasting away, the pearl's got to already be gone. Get rid of the bar then. 
Doesn't need to start I, the Because I was going to say... Destroy the pearl at the start of the film, and I, then that's not a thing anymore. That's gone, and Jack's got to do something different. Need Everything else works face. beautifully. The Elizabeth stuff, yep. the, 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 the Will, the, way, the, the way Henry Turner characterization. was great. Karina's a brilliant character. Barbosa's a better character. Salazar is such a better villain because he's just a normal person. Everything works well. But Jack can't go on land at the end and the pearl needs to be destroyed on screen. Yep. That's it. There, there are only two fixes to your fix. Mm. I, I still I still think it's harder to do the pearl thing than you think it is. Because only because at the same time, one of the things I was trying to do with this. I didn't is say like, it's easy. I just on, said that's what you have just, to do. Hang on, let me let me finish. One of the things I was like trying to get at with this is that because the whole thing is like Henry, you know, is like growing up with these legends and these ideas and everything. I wanted to hold off bringing Jack Sparrow in for as long as possible. You undercut that if your prologue to the film is that. Well, then, then, don't, make the then don't make the prologue, but just burn the pearl when you introduce Jack. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That's when you meet Jack. Yeah. Is you but think- then he hasn't been in the bar for years. Then it's like, what, you have a flashback, then it's like, oh, 10 years later, here's Jack doing this. No, nah, just have it happen. What's the flashback? Huh? What's the flashback? Well, I'm just saying, he wouldn't have been sitting in the bar for years if the pearl was still out Forget there. Forget about the bar then. I think watching a pearl burn on screen is more important than having Jack sitting in a bar for 10 years. It's a nice scene. But I disagree, because I like the idea of him washed up. Well, that's he your can idea. Be washed up. He's got he no can ship. still be washed up. He's got no ship. He's been burnt. He wasn't able to get it back. Every single time the pearl's been captured or in danger, he's been able to pull through and rescue it, except for the last time when it was the most important. Or even, mate, like even it's as simple as uh, he's still in the bar and he's been washed up for 10 years and then at a later point in the film, you find out Salazar has the pearl. Jack thought he lost the pearl and he did, but then we find out Salazar has it and he burns Gibbs in it. Yeah, right, that makes sense. Done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> you better wrap this one up then, dude. Okay, on that note, I've been Gabe. I've been Handsome Tom. I've been Carney. And uh, yeah, if you have any ideas about the Pirates of the Caribbean films and um, how you want to burn the pearl, <laughs> hit us up at MM Sandspence, our Twitter. Otherwise, movie maintenance at sandspenceradio.com. Otherwise, I'm at Goldberg Moser. I'm at Awkward Treed. I'm at Sidekick of Dowie. And use the hashtag burn the pearl. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support the show, why not become a member at sanspantsplus.com and get early access to our shows, a bunch of exclusive content, and much, much more. That's sanspantsplus.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.